He was in a lot of pain, and the end of his life was certain. It would be just days he would pass on, and he'd requested somebody from the church to come visit him. And I was heading out, and when we got the call, I was, I was the one on the list. And so I, along with our worship pastor, went, and we visited the gentleman. Neither of us really knew, but we went to hear his story. And through the course of the conversation, he he found out that my friend who was with me was a, was a worship pastor, and we we just kept talking a little bit. And he he kept asking, "Well, does you know what do you like to sing? And do you have a nice voice?" And I'm like, "He has a he has a lovely voice. In fact, he'd love to sing a song right now for us." And he shoots me a look, and I'm like, "I don't know what else to say. Like, well, he keeps asking about it. Why not?" And he's like, "He my my friend put his arm around me and said, we'll sing a song.'" And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Guess we will." And uh, so we asked the gentleman, what, what, song would you, what song would you like us to sing? And he said, Near My God to Thee. I'd never heard that song before in my life. I'm sure it was in a hymnal, uh, but I didn't know it. And uh, I'm like, you know, I don't really know that one. And my friend looks at me and smiles and says, of course you do. And uh, so the three of us sang a song, uh, Near My God to Thee. And every once in a while, I would just kind of move my lips because I didn't know the song. And every once in a while, when I thought I could gain the next word based on the, the words that had just been sung, I'd come in with a strong grace or faith or Jesus. Got it wrong every single time. Uh, and then I just then I just start to back off. Because I never heard that song before. It was it was foreign to me. But in a moment where the end was certain, in a moment of death, in a moment of despair. It stuck with me that this gentleman found comfort in an old, familiar song. And this morning, as we wrap up Playlist, we're going to look at one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 22. And it's a song that Jesus, when he was on the cross, when his death was certain, he quoted the lyrics to this song in his hour of darkness. In his time where he would die for the sins of you and I. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning as we look at part of Psalm 22 and we see not just the words that Jesus quoted on the cross, but we see the parallels between what Jesus was experiencing when he paid the price for our sin and what David was experiencing when he originally wrote the song. And he was going through a really difficult period of his own life. Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1, where we read these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the most famous quotes of Jesus. This is one of the most famous quotes of Jesus. And what's fascinating to me is when we really think through all the ramifications and all of this, today's Palm Sunday historically in the church. We celebrate, we celebrate the time where Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly and the crowds gathered all around Jesus and the disciples. They cried out, Hosanna, which literally means save us. Save us. That's what they were crying out. Save us. 
Never did they suspect that the way that Jesus would save us all is through going to a cross. And in just a matter of days, the cries of the crowd would grow, would go from celebration and from cries of save us to cries of crucify as they would turn against him. In a matter of days, the perception switched. And just days out from hearing all the crowds cry out, save us, save us, Jesus would. But the way he would do it is he would go to a cross and he would be crucified. And upon that cross as he was crucified, he would cry out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How can God the Father forsake God the Son? What would lead God the Son to cry out, why have you forsaken me to God the Father? And the answer to that question is our sin. Our sin. When the, when the weight of our sin, the weight of our imperfection was placed upon the eternal perfection of Jesus. There was a separation between him and the holiness of his Father. And he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me for the first time in all of eternity? There was separation because of my sin and because of your sin. Because God is a holy God and his standard is perfection. And he experienced the fullness of all of our imperfection upon himself. In the cross, as Jesus was on the cross. And he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? The psalm says. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in the situation where you're crying out earnestly for God to work? You're crying out earnestly for God to intervene? And it seems He's nowhere. And that prayer that you've prayed over and over and over again just doesn't seem to be answered. And sometimes it results in tears. And sometimes it results in fury. And sometimes it resolves in apathy. God, where are you in this situation? Where are you in this circumstance? Why aren't you working? Why have you abandoned me? Why won't you intervene? You're able, but where are you and what are you doing? And for some... This is a question that they can never fully rationalize. And it leads them to throw in the towel and to walk away. For others, it just leads to a, a season of discontent. For others, a quiet apathy. Where outwardly you go through the motions, but inwardly you don't even know. God, where are you? 
And this is a reminder to us that here in Scripture is David throwing out these questions before God. And here on a cross recorded for us in Scripture is Jesus crying out this sentiment to his Father. So as you go through that period of questioning and wandering, and hurt, and and just all of those emotions. I want you to be reminded of the fact that God is big enough to handle it. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. In spite of my circumstances, David writes, in spite of all that I'm experiencing, in spite of all that I'm going through, I understand who you are. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to change my viewpoint on who God is. God, I don't know what you're doing in my circumstance. I don't know what you're doing in my situation. I don't know what you're doing or what you're not doing in my life. I can't explain that. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm not going to allow my circumstances to make me lose sight of the fact that I know who you are. Are. That's where we start. Yet you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are holy. And then we've got, we've got to draw a conclusion. It's kind of difficult. Because sometimes when you read lyrics, but you don't get to hear the music, you can't understand the full scope of what the artist is trying to convey. Sometimes it's, it's very easy. But sometimes when you can't hear the music and you can't feel the emotion, and all we have are the lyrics to these songs. We don't have the time structure or the notes that they played. So we don't, we don't get to experience the full emotion of all these songs have to offer. We just have to go off these lyrics. And now in verses 4 and 5, we're left, we're left to try to deduce what he's getting at. Because in the best case scenario, in the best case scenario, this is a situation of mind over matter. God, you aren't answering me. You aren't answering my cries. You aren't answering my prayers. But I remember what you've done. I remember who you are. I remember what you're capable of. And that's the best case scenario, mind over matter. I don't know what you're doing in my situation, in my circumstances, but I know who you are. So even though I can't figure out what you're doing in my life, I'm going to rest in the fact of who you are. That's the best case. Now, here's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is how nice. (laughs) How nice, God. I remember where you were for my fathers. I remember what you've done previously. And now here I am. And you're nowhere to be found. And we can't fully understand which approach is being taken here. Because again, all we have are the lyrics that we have to go off of. And then he continues, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I mean, you go, to, you go to a doctor with this, you're walking out with a script. Like, you're getting, you're getting some drugs, 
if you're walking around with this mindset. And I just want this to be encouraging to us because sometimes we, we put ourselves under these immense pressures and we think if, if we're really authentic, if we're really authentic with our feelings about God, if we're really authentic about who we are, God can't handle that. And the church can't handle that. And the community can't handle that. And here, David's just for everyone. For everyone to see. He's like, here's what I'm feeling. I feel worthless. I feel worthless. And not only do I feel worthless, but I feel isolated and I feel alone. I feel isolated and I feel alone. Maybe you're there. Maybe you do feel worthless. Maybe it's a struggle that you've gone through throughout your entire life. Maybe you do feel isolated. Maybe you do feel alone. Maybe you feel misunderstood. Maybe you feel like there's nobody you can go to and there's nobody you can turn to. Maybe you feel, maybe you feel this psalm in your soul. You're like, I get it. I get it. And maybe you are isolated. Maybe you are alone. Maybe you're going through a really hard time right now. And truth be told, your friends are nowhere to be found. Because that's kind of what happens sometimes. Is When we're going through the difficult times, that's when we really discover who our friends are. It's when we really discover who we can count on. It's easy to be around people when times are good. It's easy to be around people when everything's going well. That doesn't take much. That's fun and that's easy. But as soon as the hard times come, that is when you will discover who your real friends are. And take note of the people who are with you in the valley. Take note of the people who are with you in the uncertainty. Take note of the people who are with you in the tough times. Because those are your friends. The acquaintances, they love to come around when things are good. But at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign that this is going to be difficult, they're gone. They're gone. Because they may have enjoyed being around you, but they didn't love you. And your friends who love you are willing to be neck, they're willing to be right beside you, neck and neck. They're willing to be with you when life gets difficult and when things get messy. They're there. They're there. Never forget who is beside you when times are tough. Because that's when you find out who your real friends are. David, he's looking around and he says, I feel like I've got no one. I'm isolated. I feel alone. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. So not only does he feel isolated and alone, but he feels mocked and he feels misunderstood. And people see him and they know. They know what David's been about. They know that David's been a very public, public figure. Somebody who's professed to all that God is a part of his life. And now they see him in a stage where things aren't going well, where everything isn't great. And they look at him and they mock him. Where's your God now? Why isn't God helping you? How's that God thing working out for you? That's where David finds himself. Now let's fast forward a couple hundred to a thousand years. And there's Jesus 
on a cross. Because the cries of save us would be answered with the very same cries of crucify. It's just that the crowd didn't understand it at the time. And what did people say to Jesus? Well, they said he was God. Come down off that cross. Where's God to save him now? Is he? You know what's fascinating? Is the script of the doubter doesn't change over the course of a thousand years or even now, three thousand years after these words were written. As some of you have experienced in your lives. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an acquaintance, a co-worker, a neighbor. But somebody who knows how you feel about God, somebody who knows that you're a follower of Jesus, but as soon as the hard times come, there they are in all their skepticism. And it's almost gleeful. You can almost hear the glee in their voice when the hard times come to you. And the question hasn't changed. It might be phrased differently, but the question is, well, where's your God now? What's he up to? What's he doing? Why isn't he intervening? Why isn't he in your life? See, the question of the skeptic, it hasn't changed. It's still asked to this day. And the patterns of friends haven't changed. They're still the same. And the thought processes that we face as humans haven't changed. They've stayed the same. Now, with outlets like social media and with a, with a warming to dialogue about, to, to warming of a dialogue about mental health in our society, it's more prevalent. But the doubts of people and the struggles that people have had mentally, it's nothing new. Thousands of years ago, we read these words, we read these feelings of David recorded for us. We've seen the pattern of friends. We've seen the pattern of acquaintances who are around for the good times and at the first sign of trouble are nowhere to be found. We hear the cries of the skeptics. Where's your God when times are tough and circumstances are hard? And yet, in all of this, this should be encouraging to us. And why it should be encouraging to us is not because we have to face hard times, which, yes, we understand as people who love Jesus, God uses those hard times to produce in us good things and growth, but it still doesn't mean we like going through them, and it still doesn't mean we want to experience them. But we do understand that God does have a purpose, and even in the worst that this world has to throw our way, He can still use to redeem and bring something good about it. We, do, we should understand, too. This is why we need to be friendly to all, but be, choose very carefully our friends. 
Because we need to have people in our lives who are there with us and for us in the good times as well as the bad. And we need to understand that there are always going to be skeptics and there are always going to be people who question or doubt the existence of God. And there are some who are legitimately seeking, but there are some who just oppose God. And it needs to be a reminder to us to not find our, our value and our worth in what other people think about us. It, ne- it needs to be a reminder to us not to find our value or, in, or our worth in our friends. And it needs to be a reminder to us that even good people who love and follow Jesus can have a war within the mind. And that God is not repelled and he is not scared by any of that. Yet you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. says, God, I remember. I remember what you've done. I remember how you've been there for me in my life. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through a tough season right now, if you're going through a hard time, remember what God has done. Remember how God has worked in your life. Thank Him for what He's done previously. It may seem like God's nowhere to be found in your present. And if that's the case, then you need to find what God has done for you in your past. And so if if you're going through a hard time right now and you feel like God's nowhere to be found in your present right now, right now, Take out a pen, take out a piece of paper, take out your phone. I don't care. Right now, start thinking about ways God has worked in your past and start writing them down. And every single day when you are in this season where it feels like God is nowhere to be found, every day remember the past. Remember what God has done. And you go back to that list. Every time you've got a thought, God, you don't care about me. God, you don't love me. God, you're nowhere to be found. You go back to that list and you remember what God has already done in your life. And when those lies come and when those doubts creep into your mind and when the uncertainty is there and you just start to question all these things and you just start to wonder, God, where are you? God, do you love me? God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Go back and remember what God has done in your past. That's exactly what David does here. He says, God, I look at my own life and I remember how you worked. I remember what you did for me. I remember how you, how you put me together. You put me together in my mother's womb. God, I remember how you protected me. God, I remember how you provided for me. You make your list for what God has done for you in your life. And you just go back to that list every single time. You feel like God is not with you in the present. He is. But every time you feel like he isn't, you go back and you remember in the past how God has worked and what he's done for you. And now we go back to the present. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. It's like, God, the odds are increasingly, increasingly dim. I'm on death's door here. I look and I see around me 
that I'm in trouble. Everywhere I look, people are looking at me. They're stronger than me, like the strong bulls of Bashan. They are stronger than me. They are, they're roaring around me like a lion that's getting ready to pounce and getting ready to feast on me. Everywhere I turn, God, and not only do I have adversaries around me and people that are actively seeking out my defeat, well, my body's broken down. The end is near. I've got nothing left. I'm exhausted. And I'm resigned to the outcome. I'm exhausted. God, the adversaries are stronger than me. They're more powerful than me. And I've put in the fight of survival. I'm just tired. I'm broken down. I don't have anything left. I'm done. I'm finished. It's over. This is the white flag. This is when you've moved to the point of acceptance. This is staring death in its face and realizing death's going to win. I gave it what I had. But I'm done. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Hmm. Does any of that sound familiar? Would any of that be played out hundreds to a thousand years later in the crucifixion of Jesus? That he would be encircled? That he would be pierced? That he would be in physical agony? To the point he could count all of his bones? That people would stare at him? That they would gloat over someone's death? That they would gamble for a chance to take home his garments? Does any of that sound familiar? It should. Because it all played out in the crucifixion of our Lord. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And here we see, we, we see the song completely shift. And we've gone from the despair and the acceptance of death to the hope of salvation. And what David's crying out for is a work of God. That he could move from the hopelessness of death and he could discover salvation. And what we all need is a work of God to move us from the hopelessness of our circumstances and the hopelessness of our sin and the hopelessness of our death and to move us to a point of salvation. And God did. But he did it through the hopelessness of death. And he did it by throwing all of my faults and all of my failures and all of my sin and all of yours too on Jesus. The path to our salvation is through death. That put Jesus on a cross. And as he was crucified, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It put Jesus to experience all of the physical turmoil and all of the physical pain of that crucifixion process. But make no mistake, the greatest pain that Jesus endured upon the cross was not a physical pain, but it was the spiritual pain of all of my sin being placed upon the holiness and the perfection of God. Because sin causes pain every single time. And the weight of that was all placed upon Jesus. The crowds would mock him. That they would encircle him. They would jeer him. But little did they know that the death and the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross was to present to us salvation. Because the cost of our sin is death. And so the cries of save us as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the cries of save us had, had to be fulfilled with the cries of crucify. Otherwise, we would never get to experience salvation. We would never get to experience eternity with God. Because we fell short of God's standard. Every single one of us. And that salvation is available to all of us. In moments it feels like God's nowhere to be found. 
Sometimes it feels like God doesn't care. We scratch our heads and we wonder, God, where are you? And when we go through those experiences, we need to do nothing more than look back at our past and our own lives. But the definitive statement for God, do you care? God, do you love me? God, do I matter? The definitive, state, the definitive answer to that question, the definitive statement of that is found with our Savior upon a cross. As he conveys his love for us. A cross he did not deserve. But I most certainly did. A time for him to find himself mocked and betrayed and beaten and ridiculed. So that I could experience salvation. And you could too. Let us remember as we go into this Easter week. Let us remember that as we celebrate our salvation, let us remember the cost. Because of what you and I have done. Let us remember God's love for us. Let us not forget. So what do we do with all this? Well, first, especially if we find ourselves in a situation where we're scratching our heads and we're wondering, God, are you good? God, are you there? Let's stop acting like we can't ask that question. Because in many regards, it's human nature. And God's big enough to handle that question. So stop pretending like you have it all together, because you don't have to. You don't have to, most importantly, before God, and that's the most important thing. You don't have to to be part of Lakeside, and you don't have to in front of your real friends. They'll get it. Be authentic. Be real. Be who you are. Second is don't allow yourself just to live in, in this place, though of apathy or anxiety. Don't allow yourself to live there. Look back and remember what God has done in your life. And when it seems like he's not in the present, remember the past. Remember the past. Remember the past. And then third, let's ask ourselves, God, how do we need you to work right now? And let's ask him to. And it may seem bleak. It may seem, it may seem like a lost cause. And maybe in this circumstance it is. But in the end, God has already won. And the way that victory was brought about was from the cries of save us to the cries of crucify to a cross so that you and I could have hope and could experience salvation. 
God, I pray that we would be people who remember what you've done for us. I pray for the person right now who feels like you are nowhere to be found. I pray, God, that you would just remind them of how you've worked in their life. I pray, God, for the person who's surrounded right now with acquaintances and people that they think are their friends because everything's great. And I pray, God, that they would make wise decisions about who they invest in and who they let in their inner circle. Because in the valleys, we find out who our real friends are. And I pray if they're wise on the mountaintops and if they're wise in the season of success, that you would reduce some of that hurt that is so bitter and so painful that we've all experienced and we've all encountered. When we discover that somebody we thought was our friend isn't willing to go through the hard times. I pray for the person, God, who's wrestling through their worth and their value. I pray for the person that's just having a battle within the mind every day they wake up. I pray, God, that they would realize there is no shame in seeking help. I pray, God, for the person who's just encountering the skeptic And I pray, God, you would just encourage their heart that there's nothing new. Do not let it phase them. Just to respond in love. I pray, God, we'd remember our salvation. That when the obstacles are too great, when death was circling us, You broke through and you offered us grace and love and forgiveness when we had nothing to offer you because your son went and took what was rightfully my penalty and my punishment upon himself so that I could experience salvation thank you Jesus what you've done for us.